podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, good morning, good afternoon to everybody. Welcome to the Talking Cop channel. We're here for another full-time match reaction. I'm your regular host, Matt, joined as always by Kev O'Sullivan. It is finished at the G-Tech Community Stadium, Brentford 1, Liverpool 4. Jurgen Klopp finally breaks his duck at that particular stadium. I believe that's his uh, final one he needed to collect a win at. So at the last chance, you get the job done. Kev, how was the early kickoff for you? Yeah, it was... <laughs> It was good. It, this game had banana skin written all over it. Um, but it was a proper professional performance when you look at it. Um, three points are massive because there would have been a lot of sides looking at us with today, the early kickoff, as a potential, yeah, this is one they could mess up. You know, we don't have a good record there. We don't generally have a good record against physical, in-your-face type sides. And they're all of that and more. You know, they're I thought they played really well. Um despite the four one, I thought they they played well in patches and they gave us a proper test. Um came at a heavy price. You know, this week has come at a heavy price, but today come with real heavy price. But look, be happy with the four points. Oh, but sorry, with the three points, four goals, seeing Mo back. Um it's up to them now. It's up to them to play catch up. You know, it's all we've done our bit. It's up to everyone else to go out and match us, try and keep pace. And that brings its own pressure. And they're not exactly easy games for the sides around us today either. So look forward to it. Yeah, it's good to take the opportunity as, uh, as often as we do get drawn in the early morning Saturday kickoff. Uh, we're going to be playing second or third of the title contenders for the majority of the run-in as long as we stay in the Europa League we're going to be playing on more Sundays than Saturdays so it's nice to get that early marker laid down for us and I think you talk about the week coming at an expensive cost obviously in terms of the 11 uh the notable one is uh, Allison picking up an injury in training and Quivine Kelleher being drawn in and it looks like he's going to get uh, a bit of a run in the team as the starting goalie but Today bodes well for that, didn't it, Kev? Yeah, it did. Look, that's 14 starts for him now this season. Um, it's the bonus, I suppose, of having him playing in the League Cup and Europa League. He's not coming into the game cold. Um, he's coming in fresh. He played last week, so he probably didn't expect it, but he had 24 hours to prepare. So it's good. And he's he's a very capable keeper. You know, yeah. Klopp is out in the press, giving him as much self-belief as possible by saying he's the best number two keeper in the world. Um, Klopp is doing everything he can to boost the guy's confidence. And it's looking like a clever decision now to turn down that last-minute bid by Nottingham Forest at the end of the transfer window to say, nah, we're all right, we'll keep him. Um, whether we'll be able to do that again in the summer, who knows? But for now, happy and comfortable enough with the fact that he's coming in and I'm sure he'll do a fine job. He was always going to get the cup final anyway. So yeah. this is just a case of, look, he's just coming in. He's going to play a few games in, you know, you'll just have to get on with it. The same as everyone else. 
that's going to be asked to put in extra work now, extra shifts because of the uh, the amount of injuries we're picking up of late. So I'd love yeah. to get hold of that journalist in the press conference and said, it looks like the squad is full and you don't have any injury concerns. <laughs> you just look to wring his neck, wouldn't you? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Pierce Richmond here sharing that apparently it's a Darwin head injury uh, and then McGlinchey following it up with a concussion, then that would probably rule him out for Wednesday yeah. night. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you in terms of talking about the injuries, Kev, depending on who your best eleven is, if everybody's fit, we're up to missing six or seven players from our best eleven. Like when you go through it, I would put Joel Matip as the best partner for Virgil Van Dyke, yep. and he's out for the entire season. You'd start Jada; he looks like he's now going to be out for an extended period of time. Darwin out, Jones out, Savasly, Trent, like, yeah, out of nowhere because it did feel like we were getting all the cabs back off of the ranks and we were going to make a charge into the end of the season with a pretty much full fit and firing squad. And then all of a sudden now we seem to be in the middle of something of a crisis. It's a crisis, but it's um, a crisis with an end, with an end in sight. Hopefully we know we're not going to see Joel Matip, but we are going to see Trent most likely I'd say mid March going by what Klopp was saying. Um, the press conference yesterday and he said that Dominic Sabazlai might be available for the bench at for the cup final which is look I don't think he will be so you're looking at the week after that for Damo so after that then you're looking at we probably we don't know what's going on with Thiago we don't know what's going on with Bacetic everyone else it's wait and see we don't know with Alisson he's probably going to have a scan tomorrow or Monday um, if it's hamstring we don't We'll just have to wait and see what that what that is. And the other one, then, who's the other one? Darwin concussion protocols. You might see him for the final, you know. Which in itself is, I'd rather be safe than sorry. You can't take any gambles with um, head injuries. The, yeah. the injuries we picked up today, Jones looked like he rolled his ankle. That could be anything. We don't know. We'll see. Yeah. You'd imagine he'd leave the stadium today with a protective boot and um, go for a scan and it looks like with Jota someone landed on him so yes uh Norgard was uh jumping for another of yeah. there must have been about 300 headers in this game I don't know if I can recall yeah. a game with it's had this many headers <laughs> in it but uh yeah. Jota had gone up lost out in the physical challenge was already down on the ground kind of lying on his right hand side and Norgard yeah. fell like right on his knee it yeah. looks that's just unfortunate looks, uh, not good at all yeah, but yeah, I, yeah, is, I mean, it's it, it like looked, Anthony Boylan says, pure, pure accident. Like, oh yeah, hundred percent. But it's one of those injuries that could be, and I said it in the Telegram app at half time. I hope that this is an impact injury. If it's yeah. an impact injury, you pretty much know where you are. It's going to be sore. It's you know what you it's like when you get a dead leg or anything like that. In a in a week, you're fine, yeah. and it's just okay. On the at the time it happens, it can be horrible. I mean, my biggest fear was when you saw the first replay, you saw, I think it was McAllister stood on his foot. Yeah. And you saw him then when he was down, he was grabbing at his knee. And given his history with knee issues, it's literally just a wait and see. But the hope, my hope is that it's just a reaction to having someone land on top of him from a great height. Yeah. You know, that yeah, Madge, Madge Apple says here, they showed Jada walking down the corridor, so at least he's walking wounded. Yeah. And that's good because he got up after the initial contact and then went down again and 
when they call the stretcher out, you're always just like, oh, yeah. But you saw the reaction when because Michael Oliver wanted him to go and walk around the pitch, and Jota was like, uh, I'm gonna sit down and you bring on the stretcher. I was fine walking off the pitch like a normal human being, but you're making me walk around all the way around there. Nah, jog on sunshine. I'll sit in my backside and I'll get carried off. Thank you very much. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So uh, before we get into the rest of the lineups, let me get some of the housekeeping out of the way. Uh, of course, we were partnered with uh, a couple of great charity organizations, one in Dublin, the Lighthouse Cafe, fan supporting food banks in Liverpool. That's who we're trying to raise money for in 2024. So you guys all know the rules. If you're listening live or afterwards, catching up on a podcast, you'll find the GoFundMe link in the description for the show. Please, if you can donate, help us get to our fundraising target for these two fantastic organizations. And if you can't, Please just take that link, share it into your social media accounts, try to get the word out for us because it doesn't take too long. You keep the five and 10 and $20 donations rolling over and that, that number starts to tick over real quick, real fast. Uh, and of course, uh, footballprizes.co.uk. I do have to say, it feels like the people at Football Prizes think that there's something behind this Chabby Alonso thing because there is another Chabby Alonso prize coming up. It's a full Memories of Istanbul frame jersey. It's... If you like the miracle of Istanbul and you're a fan of Xavi Alonso, then this is absolutely the prize for you. And then a ton of other instant prizes that go along with it, including a bogey prize for somebody that's going to get a signed Didi Haman jersey. But uh, yes, Avo, I have stuff sitting on my phone. Uh, the rest the rest of the lineup, though, Bradley and Robertson in the fullbacks. Kanate comes back in after suspension, obviously, beside Virgil. The midfield of McAllister, Endo, and Jones goes again. The front three of Jada Darwin and Diaz goes again. Were you surprised to know Joe Gomez? Yes. Um, although, in fairness, when you, in hindsight, twenty twenty, uh, going into this month, really, when you look back at it, Connor Bradley's very unlucky not to win Player of the Month uh, outright. I mean, that went to Diogo Jota because at the end of the day, forwards and headlines but Connor Bradley was in with a real life chance of winning player of the month which is outrageous um it, what happened in his personal life is absolute tragedy so the fact that he's been back for a week and he's available I suppose yeah you can on form you'd say yeah it's his shirt to, it's his shirt to lose so I would have probably started with Joe Gomez mainly because of the physical threat that um, Brentford do offer. But Conor Bradley today was outstanding. Defensively, going the other way, he was um, he was very, very good. Uh, had a really good game in both aspects of the pitch. And he's really, he's really just becoming one of these players that you can absolutely relax when, when, he's, when he's in the starting lineup because he's got quality. And he was drifting into midfield and he's got quality there too. He can have a shot. He's got confidence. He's um, He looks a proper player. Um, it's just going to be a case of managing his minutes for the rest of, the rest of this season. Um, managing him physically, not in any other way. Because, man, he, he, he's going to save us a bundle of, a bundle of cash. Yeah. You know, he, he's a proper, proper talent. Love, love him. I think he's going to be a, a cult hero at Liverpool for a long time. Well, if if that's if that's his plan, he is certainly starting in the right way because there's just something yeah. about like he's got such a willingness to get on the ball. He's not he's not hiding. He's not afraid. 
He's calling for the ball feet. He's making these little one-twos in the middle like he had one in uh, the ninth minute. Plays a little give-and-go with Luis Diaz and gets on the end of it. Ball kind of bobbles and it lands into his feet and he tries to just kind of dink-toe-poke it into the bottom corner. Gets a good save from Flecken. I thought we came out of the traps quite well. First two, three minutes and then Brentford settled into the game and it looked like it might be Ivan Tony's day because he... He was dangerous today. And Neil Mope, the much maligned Neil Mope as well, too. Both of those two strikers up top were dovetailing quite nicely for Brentford. Were you were you a little concerned that Ivan Tony was going to just continue to add to his future transfer value? No, because um, at the end of the day, Ivan Tony is a very good centre forward if you allow him to dictate play on his terms. Um, you can frustrate him. Uh, you can starve his service. Yeah, Brent, Brentford had a really good spell for about 15 minutes. And because they're so unique in the way that they set up, there's not many sides that... There's plenty of sides in the Premier League who play against Liverpool and play a back five. They really don't. They tr they really honestly do play a 3-5-2. And their wing-backs are on, you know, steroids want of a better word for the amount of uh, running they do and the options that they give you. So I wasn't surprised that we stood off for a little bit to see what they were all about and see how we we're going to manage the situation. So well and good on the tactics board, you can prepare for a game left, right and centre. But when it's up in front of you, you, you've got to assess what's there and how you're going to structure your game. And so the only thing that was really getting me nervous in the first five, 10 minutes was the amount of times, and it happened on both wings, uh, with Regulan on one side and Rosalef on the other side, making a 2v1 against our fullback. So that, and it, and Brentford either didn't see it or they didn't try to do it. But the option for a crossfield pass from one wing to the other in over the fullback's head, which is what they did, but they used to do in the last few years really well. They didn't really try it, but it was on a lot. And you could see from whatever way they got the camera angle set up for when I was watching it on TNT Sports, you could see a mile away that that pass was on. And they tried it once. I think Bradley snuffed it out really well. But I thought once we managed the first 15 minutes and we grew into the game, um, it was just a case to get that first goal and go from there. First goal was all important. The last thing you want to do against a side like Brentford or any side like them who are experienced in the league now is go one down because they do sit deep, you know, if you allow them to sit deep. But when they had to chase a game, they get a bit dis disorganised and a bit disjointed and almost too aggressive. You almost want to draw them onto you then. You know, it's um, they're very regimented in, in how they set up. They're very good at it. They're very good at getting a breaks on the counter. So some of their patterns of play to get out were really good in the first 15 minutes. But then we started to snuff it out and we started to boss the ball. And once we started to boss the ball, we started to create. And so we just grew into the game as the game went on. We just got better and better and better. But it doesn't matter how good you are until you get the first goal. First goal is everything. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, before we get on to the first goal, we got the first uh, of – an unfortunate number of injuries for us in the game. 
I didn't really see a foul in it, Kev. I mean, it was Norgard in on Jones. I was more concerned about how he lost the ball and it led to a Brentford counterattack, but the shot goes wide and you see that Curtis Jones is still down and it just looks like he goes over on his left ankle a little bit. Like the contact from Norgard makes him land in an awkward way that he wasn't expecting to. And it just looks like he tweaks his ankle, but almost immediately he's signaling that he's going to need to come off. The physios are uh, are making that decision that he's going to need to come off. And that's not great because I thought before that in the game, it seems like in this last little run of games that Curtis Jones, for me, has won the the trust of the coaching staff to be given a lot more freedom in the middle of the park. Like there's so many times before he went off injured and in the previous game where even though he's ostensibly starting as the left-sided eight, he's over on the right touchline and we're completely overloading. We've got all three of our midfielders over on the right third of the pitch and he's just kind of popping up where he needs to be because he has the game intelligence. He knows the system. He knows, you know, if he goes here when the ball breaks down where he needs to get back to and like he made a at one point Christopher or Christoph Iyer Christopher Iyer whatever his name is made a an insane Joel Matip like run with the ball up the field and it was Curtis Jones defending against him in our box which is a very strange thing to have Curtis Jones defending a a breaking <laughs> attacking run no, from a Brentford center half but he, he, I look I thought he was having a decent game um, and he offers that level of control and. I know he's he's been really good this season. Um, I'm not I'd love to say I wasn't surprised, but I kind of you can see that he's technically a really good player, and good players can pretty much play anywhere. And he's given a responsibility on the corner on the set pieces to defend the space, and he followed he tracked his runner and he got his tackle in. But the challenge that he got injured from, I just think, is one of them. It's an innocuous. Little, it's an innocuous tackle. You make you go through those tackles half a dozen times in a game, and I didn't think anything of it. I just thought it was. I didn't even think it was a foul, to be honest. I just thought he reached around with his foot to try to get the ball. Didn't get it. He rolled his ankle. I didn't think there was anything yeah. in it at all. It's just unfortunate that he landed the way he landed. We'll see how. We'll see what the scans show, but the timing couldn't be worse, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, it's with a cup final coming up next weekend and Luton in the midweek. But uh, Brentford get a free kick inside their own half and Flecken launches it long and ball kind of breaks the Virgil van Dyke and he just absolutely hoofs the ball towards the halfway line. And what a header from Diogo Jota. Like just an unbelievably intelligent piece of play from Diogo Jota to know that Darwin Nunes is running in through that middle channel that is just completely wide open you feel sorry for Reggion. I he's he's not the best left back. He's serviceable, but he was always going to lose that battle against Diogo Jada. And I mean, he puts it right into the path of Darwin Nunez. And were you nervous, Kev, when you get Darwin Nunez running with the ball at his feet about thirty yards out, nobody in front of him? Were you concerned? Did you see it coming? No, but yeah, because the keeper made his mind up for him. Um, the keeper came so far out that. It was a case, if he'd have tried to go around him, he'd have had to knock it and it would have been more of a risk. The only thing he could do was try to chip, was to chip him. And he was far enough out that he could really get a bit of bit of power and height into it. There was nobody catching the ball. So once you're getting the power into it and you, and you can get it over the keeper's head, it's only going to go in. Uh, I 
absolute total 100% confidence in Darwin Nunes finishing that. Nah, seriously, I, I honestly did. I just thought the keeper, because the keeper made his mind up, um, there was only one type of finish, really. So it was just a case of get a good contact on it. The question always is with Darwin, if you give him, to, or, and it's not just Darwin, any striker, really, if they have too much time to think, they fluff it. But he's the header put him into a path, and that has to be muscle memory for him now. If the keeper does this, I'm doing that. If the keeper stays in his line, I'm bringing it forward and I'm going around, or I'm going to side foot it. And that needs to be muscle. It should, at his age, it should be muscle memory. You know, he shouldn't have to think about it. And it was a it was a brilliant finish, but it was all made by Diogo Jota's vision and instinctiveness to know that that's where the ball needed to be. Yeah. Um, although he was hands down our best our best player on the pitch in the first half, hands down, he was everywhere and in great form as well. But yeah, that Jota made the goal. Darwin finished it, but that. That header deserved to finish. You know? Yes, it would have been criminal. It would have been criminal if that if that header didn't result in a finish. You know, um, but once you go one nil up, thirty five minutes. You know, you're talking 10, 15 minutes to go into halftime, and we'd grown into the game by then. We'd got our foot in the ball. We'd pushed them back, and we'd decided how we were going to play and how we were building plays up. So, and the other, the flip side of it is. Whenever they get set pieces, they really go for broke. They go gung-ho. They put everyone in the kitchen sink and the tea lady up front. And it's like, if they get caught, then there's no better side than Liverpool to, to catch you on the break and to expose you on the break. So it's high risk and high reward. You know, yeah. If they get it right, they're very good from set pieces. Their ingenuity and taking quick free kicks and Working the space in free kicks is very good. They've worked on it really, really hard. But at the same time, if it goes wrong, you're wide open to chances. And once we got the, the first, I thought, this is how we're going to get two, three, four, five, and however many you want. Yeah. You know, it was yeah, it, I think it's a, bit, a bit naive from them, but at the same time, at 1-0 down, from then on, because they did it a few times after, you know, you're at home. The, your home fans expect you to have a go. Yeah. You know, so yeah, it's uh it was good control after that point. I mean, getting that first goal, I mean, and you you had to feel it was coming. Brentford have conceded in every one of their home games this year. They've also scored in every one of their home games this year, so that record uh, that record keeps going, but just completely going for broke because they must have had a numerical advantage in the box if when Virgil hooks the ball clear, we basically got a two-on-one against Sergio Reguilon at the back. Like it's yeah, you roll the dice with uh, with play like that, and this time it ends up in a patented Liverpool instant counterattack from the other team's set piece, which you always do love to see. Uh, what you don't love to see, though, is then uh, shortly after that is when Diogo Jota goes down. Now, we already kind of talked about that incident, but if there's a silver lining to losing a player, because coming into the game, Jota had scored five in his last six. You know, he was absolutely instrumental along with the other forwards and keeping us ticking over in that period where Mo Salah, who is without question, the key to our attack when he was gone at the AFCON and with his hamstring injury. So to be able to bring Mo back into the team off the bench and the fact that it was Salah for Jada 
before the halftime interval told me that the team must feel that he's ready to go. This wasn't a, you know, I, I was wondering whether it was going to be, you know, Mo gets 15 minutes at the end of the game or maybe 20, 25, something like that, just to try to get him back up to speed. The fact that they went for that switch for Salo, because we had Gakpo available, he could have brought Gakpo on pretty easily, but that's nice to see Mo back and uh, he looked yeah, good. Yeah, he, <laughs> he did. And the thing is, I suppose, you, you have to take Klopp at his word when he, when he gives you the injury updates at uh, the press conferences. And he said, Salah's been training all week, you know, and you go back to when he first picked up his injury, his predicted return date was he could have been back for the AFCON final, which was last weekend at a push, you know. So if Egypt had made it there, he probably would have gone back and played, you know. So the fact that he's had a full week's training and also the fact that he was on the bench and the three that played, are the three that have got us to where we are and kept us where we are. You can, you're not in a mad rush to bring him back in, but at the same time, having him come back, come on, it's like a, it's like a security blanket around you, you know, but at the same time you're after, okay, we've lost Jones. We've lost Jota. We've lost Allison. We've lost Trent in the space of three days, you know, don't lose anyone else. You know, yeah. please don't be gambling. And they didn't. You know, they, they in the cold light of day when you look at it, yeah, they definitely didn't gamble with more. I think the plan probably was to give him 20 minutes at the end. But at the same time, he come he come on and like all of the substitutions, Ryan Gravenbert as well, they affected the game. All of the substitutions came on and it had a real positive effect on, on the game throughout. So not ideal situation, far from it. But to have him back and looking like he's old self, you know, it's not like when he came back a couple of years ago after Egypt uh, went uh, after Egypt lost the final, and he just he just didn't look right. He didn't look himself. Yeah, he comes back today and he looks like he's he's at it and he wants to be at it. And he's a he's a huge he's huge for us in this run and absolutely massive. Yeah, you know, even in the. Go- the five ten minutes uh, that he was on the pitch before halftime, he was already getting involved, picking the ball up, linking up nicely with Diaz and Darwin for one moment, and then we have a quick counter at the other end. Luis Diaz gets the ball at about the halfway line and just drives the rest of the length of the field and cuts it back into the middle, and it bobbles up. It hits Mo in the shin, but it's like holy, like he's off the bench back after a month gone, and he's mm. he's right in there and around. So we get to halftime, and I mean. Feeling good, starting to add up the injuries, thinking, geez, we got six of our preferred 11 now out with injuries, some of them long-term. And then the news comes through as halftime is coming to an end that uh, it looks like Cody Gapo is coming on for Darwin Nunez. Yeah, I I thought, I, yeah, I mean, I thought that there isn't an injury because he, he finished a half strong. Um, I, I honestly thought, that, look, you've got th- you can stop the game three times to make changes. You can make five changes, but you can only stop it three times. We'd already done it twice. So I thought if we were going to, planning on taking Darwin off on the hour, you know, then you may as well bring him off at halftime, give Cody Gapo 45 minutes. You're still leaving yourself with a slot in the second half if you need to change the game one way or another. If Brentford get back into it, you can make another attacking substitution. You can change things. 
or if you want to rest players later on in the second half, you can make those changes. You know, so that's what I thought in my head. I thought, okay, he's got, he made that one change at halftime, but it's probably just protect the player with Jota having gone off, um, and just keep an ace in the back in the back in your back pocket. You know, but as we've seen at the end of the game, that um, it could it's concussion protocol. So that's him now. For he won't be available for the Luton game. And he hopefully will be available for the cup final. Yeah, yeah. Getting getting a little bit thin up front. Uh, all of a sudden, the second half kicks off, Kev, and I I I just about crap myself like ten seconds in because it's not out of this realm of possibilities that Connor Bradley sees a red card for his challenge on Ivan Tony. Yeah, he's going for the ball. It, it, there's no intent or anything like that in it, but we've seen numerous occasions where players are going for the ball, whether they follow through or miss the ball and catch the player with the cleats on the leg and they're getting red cards. That was worrying. Am I Am I, Am I? I out of it? I mean, VAR dismissed it pretty quickly. Yeah, there was a few decisions throughout the second half. We'll get to all of them, but that one I thought... I'll be honest. I thought the ref, the way he refed it, he was letting a, letting stuff just play because it wasn't a dirty game. It wasn't a cynical game in any way, and I think he just saw it for what it was. It was an effort to play the ball, and he just didn't get there, you know. Um, but I think you you have to play how as to how the referee is refereeing, and he was refereeing the game in a way that allowed that kind of stuff to go. So that's how you play the game. You know, if, if you're getting uh, Michael Oliver, who's pernickety and blowing up for every single touch, the player goes down for left, right and centre, then you have to adjust how, you, how you're playing. But no, nah, I wasn't too worried. You know, I mean, there was one, there was a few in the second half that I was worried. Uh, even in the first half, there was um, Jota in the first half had arms all over him, went down. And okay, he didn't give it. Far blow, you know. I said it was six of one half a dozen the other. That's fine. I don't mind that. But a minute later, he gave a free out for a, a push in the box. It can't be both. That's what pisses players off because it's one or the other. You can either have a physical contest when there's corners, and players are holding and grappling and pushing and shoving, or you're gonna blow up when that happens. You can't do both. That just throws that's organized that's chaos. And nobody knows what the hell's going on. That's when you can get games that just explode for no reason. And managers lose the plot left, right, and center and end up getting sent off. Because they don't know what's going on. You know, you know you know what you're seeing, but when you when you're getting referees calling one thing and then 30 seconds later not calling it, it makes it a joke. You know, it's really difficult. And he corrected it in the second half because in the second half, there was, like I said, there was nothing. The only booking I think that we picked up was Endo, yep. you know, in the second half. And yeah, it was a booking, you know, and it was a good booking. It was. If we had blue cards, it was a blue card, you know, because it was cynical. Uh, so, <laughs> yeah, I just thought he had a mad five minutes in the first half. And overall, I thought he had a decent game. I wouldn't say he's a great game because, like, he's a referee and he's generally, they're generally all pricks. But for how we're seeing him at the minute, it was all right. 
he was yeah, okay. He was, he was consistent in what he was letting go. I, I I thought some of the Brentford players were doing a very good job of winning fairly cheap free kicks, you know, up in, you know, 30 yards wide on the left, wide on the right, which gave them a, a pretty consistent supply of set pieces to try to create something from, which they never did. But uh, after the after the Bradley incident, there was about a five-minute period where it just looked like Mo Salah said, give me the ball. I... I'm going to take over this game. I mean, Virgil has a cleared head, uh, cleared header. Mo gets in, misses at the near post, just kind of bobbles on him at the last minute. He plays Gasco in. Yeah, I know. It felt like the ball kind of jumped up on him a little bit there. Moments later, playing the ball into Gakpo down on the right. There's not a lot of angle there. He doesn't really able to get a shot off. And then he plays an incredible pass to Alexis McAllister. Just the vision on it, curling with his left foot, puts it right into his path. And then McAllister does so well to just kind of chip dribble that ball up and take Ben Mee out of the game completely as he shifts from going left to going right. And in toe pokes it past the keeper. That's a lovely goal. And you you got to like seeing McAllister in those more advanced positions. Alexis McAllister used to be a striker, right? And he started off as a striker and then as a second striker in the number 10. And then the number eight, and with us, the number six. He he's going to end up as a goalkeeper. <laughs> he's a bit short. But he's um, he knows how to score goals. That pass from Mo, from a, left, a left-footed a left player, playing that with his left foot, that is so difficult. That is such with a difficult too. pass to play. Like, yeah. He leathered it in there. Yeah, that is a serious, serious pass from a guy who hasn't kicked the ball in anger in a month. You know, I can excuse the fact that, you know, that chip that he skewed off to the right and looked like the keeper should have, you know, we should have got a corner out of it at least. You can forgive that. But that pass, that pass is ridiculous. And the the, the finish was a great finish. It was a striker's finish, to be fair. If Jota had scored that, we'd be eulogizing about it. That's a striker's finish. McAllister's got that in his locker as well. You know, he's such a versatile player. And I've no doubt that between now and the end of the season, we'll see him playing off a striker at some point during the season. He's just got a great football brain. And it was it was a brilliant, brilliant goal. And that literally, 53 minutes, that calmed everything down. That calmed the stadium down. Our fans got up and it calmed the players down. You know, because they were still lively you know they were still threatening they're a dangerous side especially on the counter but at 2-0 yeah i was i was i chilled right out there and i was just, you know you just enjoying the half as 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 it plays out yeah especially because we looked after the first goal like we were solid in control of the ball like our our passing was mostly sharp like we weren't leaving a ton i know there's a few instances where endo and McAllister played a few weak balls in midfield i think gomez had one late on that gave them a a a semi chance to kind of break to it this is something i just want to point out i absolutely love the body language of virgil van dyke when he's asking for the ball to be played in front of him but it comes too close to his feet and it's you know not in front of him for him to run onto he just kind of stops and bends over and watches the ball slowly come into his feet it's like the most <laughs> like i'm so disappointed in you that you didn't play the ball right in front of me he just seems to do it every single time uh 
Thomas Frank rings the changes on 62 minutes. He brings on Wissa, Onyeka, and Keen Lewis Potter from Mopay, Rorslev, and Norgard. They've got to go for it at this point. Like it's it's yeah. two nil. You're at home. They're not in the relegation fight, but they're certainly not out of danger. Uh, I mean, they've won uh, nine points from their last 39 available. So that's that's the equivalent of three wins in 13 games. That's relegation form. Like that's they're gonna they're gonna need to buck things up. But today was just not the day for him because you mentioned Endo then gets a yellow card. I thought it was a great foul. That's yeah. You know they could be breaking there. They've just made the changes. Go ahead, break that play up. Take that nice foul. And then seconds later, I mean, it's another long ball. Cody Gakpo lays the ball off unbelievably well. And then Ben Mee just, I don't know if he was downloading new system updates or what, but he just <laughs> stands there. And then it's a foot race for the ball in open space between Mo Salah and Nathan Collins. And poor Nathan Collins, but yeah, yeah, you're not going to win that race. And then Mo is just too clever for him. Too strong. Gets around him, gets the ball into his left foot, slots home. And I mean, that's a goal and an assist in his first half of football back. Yeah. Beautiful. It I was, mean, it was it was the one thing with Mo in that in that spot. You're looking for him. Does he trust his hamstring? Yeah, he does. And the strength, the the physical strength to hold off the center back to get that shot away is, is brilliant. It's it he's so underrated for that part of his game for a guy of his stature of his size his physical size he is as strong as any player i've ever seen physically you know he's a, he's an absolute monster on the ball and he's so difficult to shake off of it it was um a lovely flick on um naive defending again you're back three uh beaten by one glancing header and it wasn't as if they didn't have a warning they had a few warnings that that was on. And it's like, you know, pick your... If you're Brentford, pick your bunnies. If Mo Salah's on the pitch, give him five yards. Make him beat you. You know, the, it, was, it was such a bad goal to concede from their point of view, but such a good goal from our point of view because we were... we were Not that we were in control. It was... Uh, we, we just looked like we were... Um, Managing the situation, but for Salah to get that goal and to come back with a goal and an assist going into the, the last third of the season has got to do his confidence the world of good. You know, he, he couldn't have asked for a better comeback. He, he couldn't, you know, and it was it was an outstanding finish. And that was game over. Yeah. That, that was game done, job done. Monkey off our back, you know. First away win at, Brent, at the new Brentford Stadium. First win there since 83 in the Milk Cup. And as someone said at the beginning of the show, um, our first win in the league against Brentford away since the Second World War. You know, granted, they were in, they were in the lower leagues for donkeys. You know, nah. Caveat. Not, let's, let's not worry but, about context. Don't let context get in the way of a really good sound. But at the same statistic. side, yeah. <laughs> been one of those grounds that's been a hoodoo for the for us and they've had the wood over us at their place for how they play but it, it's huge it that that goal was huge yeah and then uh Brentford then make another change they bring Damsgaard on for Jensen just exchanging Danish players one for another 
Uh, and then they get their consolation goal. Uh, Ivan Tony, Johnny on the spot after. That's a great save by Kelleher. Like, yeah, it was a good save. Yeah, I mean, Virgil kind of gets pulled in. I think it was a, I think it was a throw-in, maybe a free kick on the side. And the ball's going down the left-hand side. Virgil goes out, kind of like what I talked about in the first half of we were really sliding over when their players got on the end of a pass, and it created this massive opening. And Yoan Wissa does well. He, uh, he, he, he kind of sells Kanate down the river with that one. He pulls the ball back through the box, and I'm not sure who was running onto it. Maybe Damsgaard or one of the other Nordies on their team. First time, absolutely blast the ball. And Kelleher, such a strong right hand down by his feet. And then a the ball falls right to Ivan Tony, and he puts it into the yeah. net 1-3. But it didn't really change much, did it? No, but it's at the same time, it's uh, a headache. I would love the clean sheet. I love a clean yeah. sheet. But it would have been nice to come away with a clean sheet. But just before that, they had a penalty shout. And for about five minutes before the goal, we were disjointed. We were just like in, it was we were in cruise control at that stage, you know. And they had a five minute spell where they were really good. They had the penalty shout where Robertson clatters into the back of um, Ivan Tony, and he Michael Oliver waves it away. Uh, VR checks it. They had a good check of it, and they they waved it off. But that is one hundred percent in the category of seen them given. Yep. You know, and it was. I think the only thing, the only reason why it wasn't given was Tony played for it. He put himself in a position to take the contact, to initiate the contact. But at the same time, Robertson gave him ample opportunity to take the contact and he gave him plenty of contact. You know, if that was given, I don't think there's any argument about it whatsoever because he absolutely upends him. And, you know, from that penalty appeal, to then get in their their goal, that five minutes they get the goal. The crowd comes up. You're thinking this is 15 minutes we didn't need, you know. And it was a test of character then. Yeah, you know, it was. Well, you worry that that you know if they get those quick fire bang bang goals and all of a sudden it's three two and they've got all the momentum going into the last 10 15 minutes of the game, but we score a ton of goals in the last 15 minutes of games and we end up adding another one to that tally for us, but. Uh, do you think we should have had a penalty for the Nathan Collins tackle on Luis Diaz? Because that's another one of those you've seen them given challenges, yeah. isn't it? It is. It's um, it's clever by Diaz, but again, Diaz plays for it because he's out of control. Um, he can't get back on the ball, and Collins leaves a lazy leg out. Both penalties, I'm glad, weren't given for different reasons. And at the end of the day, the one for Tony playing for it, yeah, I'm, look, I don't like seeing those kind of penalties going. And that would have been seriously soft. If Diaz had gotten that one, it would have been seriously soft. Yes, he got caught. Yes, there's contact. But not all contact is a foul and not all contact is a penalty. Yeah. I think it would have been extremely soft. Um, And like I said, I think one cancels that the other. Because both equally could have been given on another day and another season. If you're looking at those those fouls two three seasons ago, they're definitely a hundred percent given both of them. 
there's a you know, decent chance seems- that we'll see that exact same foul given in the current run of yeah. three o'clock games that are on right now. But I mean, yeah, wouldn't I think, me. Wouldn't I think out of the, what does that make it? Three potential penalty shouts, two for us, one for them. I, I would say ours have a stronger case, but I'm happy that none of those were given as penalties. Like same as you of like, just, it doesn't have to be that COVID season where Bruno Fernandez got 93 penalties because any contact in the box is automatically given as a penalty. Yeah. And that's good to see. Uh, we make our final changes on 82 minutes. Joe Gomez comes on for Connor Bradley, who had just another fabulous game. He was like, really good. Yeah, like what a what a player that we've got on our hands there, Connor Bradley. And it's especially with the injury to Trent, is we don't have to be shitting bricks over where's that extra creativity going to come from? You know, who's going to be playing it right back? Even though we do have our left backs now, which would allow Joe Gomez to filter back over and play as our right back for us. He's ah man, yeah. I another great prospect from the academy coming through for us. Uh, and then Harvey Elliott gets onto the field for uh, Alexis McAllister. A little bit surprised that uh, Endo wasn't taken off on his yellow card. Um, yeah, no, I think they were. You have to look at it in the situation. It's still it's three one. If they get a third, a second. And with the amount of injury time that's being added on in games, you're talking an extra 10, 15 minutes of play. You know, anything could happen. I think you have to trust the player to manage the situation. You know, you're on a booking and you're in that position where you're going to be making tackles. You have to trust the player to manage that situation, you know, and and he did. He managed it perfectly. And I think going forward with the fact that we're going to be playing three games in a week, that if you got the opportunity to rest Connor Bradley, knowing that Trent isn't going to be available, then you take it. And the other one, then who was that? Who who was the second player to come off? McAllister. Uh, Harvey Harvey Elliott came off for McAllister. Yeah. Yeah. Again, same situation. You know, he he's not. I don't know what the story is with him him coming back. He's not long back from an injury, was he? So maybe it's just a case of look. You Harvey's done nothing wrong to warrant being out of the side. And Endo is as solid a six as you're going to get. Let him manage it, you know. Yeah. Uh, trust him. Trust trust him to manage that. And Harvey comes on and he'll be an annoying so-and-so for the, next, for the last 15 minutes of the game. Yeah, and I mean, I, I don't have the minute written down, but there was uh, a potential for Wataru Endo to have seen his second yellow card. I think it's Tony has the ball against him pretty much at the halfway line in a one-on-one, but he nutmegs him and puts the ball through his legs and then runs right through Endo. There was really nowhere he could go, but it was yeah. another bit of a, a heart and mouth kind of moment. Uh, one thing I like that I noted, it's not the most exciting thing. On the 84th minute, Kanate has the ball. He's running back towards our own goal. He's being put under pressure by the Brentford forwards. The game's still yeah. 3-1, you know, five, five minutes plus injury time left to go there. And instead of trying to do anything too cute or putting Kelleher under unneeded pressure, because again, Wissa was pushing up on Kelleher to take that passing lane away. He just kicks the ball out for a throw in, gets his, gets his hand slapped from Virgil van Dyke. We reset the line. They make a substitution. And then we immediately go and we add the fourth goal. And it was just, it's that no nonsense stuff, which cost us probably in the Arsenal game with Virgil and Allison's errors leading to some pretty easy goals for them. But that's just that's such smart play from Ibu Kanate. And you could tell that Virgil was a big fan of just, yeah, no, put it out for a throw and let's not screw around here. Yeah, I, I noticed that as well. And, it, you know, it would have been easy for him to take a touch and try to launch it up the pitch. 
And I think if we were level or, you know, whatever, then you probably do. But that is, as Kuda put points out in the comments there, defending 101. You know, yeah. don't take a risk. Reset, as you said, reset, reorganize yourself. You know that it's odds are it's going to be a long throw coming. So you know where you need to be to deal with it. Just get back and deal with it. And yeah, yeah. it is. You, no risk, just no messing. Just do the basics. And then as Chris Golding says, the fourth goal was some comedy of errors on Brentford's behalf. So yeah, they uh, they bring Godos on for Reggion, who did not have a very good day. And Godos just picks up that not having a very good day torch and runs with it. Because I think the first thing that he does is nothing for the fourth goal. I mean, they give the ball away. It's a scrambled second ball, which there was a ton of throughout the game. It's falling to Nathan Collins, who had... A no good, very bad day. And he completely yeah. air kicks on it. Like, And I like Nathan Collins. I thought he did really well with Wolves last year, all things considered being a defender for Wolves. He's not had the best of seasons so far, the Republic of Ireland International with Brentford. And today was uh, an exclamation point on that. Diaz collects it after the air kick, slides it out to the left, and Gata should intercept this ball. He should, you know, hammer the ball down the field. He doesn't. Cody Gakpo gets it, puts it into the net. It's his 10th goal of the season. Another one of our forwards just continue to fire, though, don't they? Yeah, to do. That's four forward, four of our forwards now into double figures this season. And for someone who is getting stick left, right, and center from certain sections of the fan base, he's quietly been very effective. And he's, um, again, he's another one. This goal will give him give him plenty of confidence. Um, another substitution that comes off the bench and affects a game. Um, Luis Diaz quietly had a good game um, without being exceptional at it in any way. He was very good in patches. Um, it was it was uh, an exclamation mark. It was an exclamation point on the exclamation mark to finish the game off. And, you know, Cody will be delighted with that. Um we're getting a really good return from all our forwards, to be honest. And, you know, I think they said it in the commentary. Um, there was something like 15 points better off than we were this time last season. But we're 16 points worse off than where we were in the season where we won the title. That wow. goes to show how dominant that season was and how ridiculous that that season was. That season just wasn't a contest by this time of, the, of that season. But it goes to show the improvement that this that we've made so far this season. And what I suppose you've got to look back at last season, how we finished the season. We finished the season strongly as well. So if we can keep that kind of momentum and finish this season strongly, we'll we'll end up where we end up. But it'll take a special side to to finish on top of us. Yeah. Yeah. So I, we we look like a well-oiled machine at the moment. We've got players coming in as players go out and the system just keeps ticking over. You know, having Robertson on the left obviously gives you different attacking options than having Gomez there. Bradley is a difference from either Gomez or Trent Alexander-Arnold. The midfield, when you put them in there, like I thought Harvey Elliott, that's another good cameo from him. I was very happy with the way Gravenberch played coming on early for Jones when he went off injured because he's coming off the back of a couple of meh performances you know i thought he was quite poor against arsenal that was good mm. to see you know gakpo a few people have been going geez i don't know about gakpo he brings something different to darwin nunez 
keeps that team ticking over and it's all looking good. I mean, just the final thing from the game, the 91st minute was when Endo had the potential second yellow card. Quivin Keller with another incredible save, this time with his left hand down low. Uh, Tony gets onto the end of the ball at the near post. Might not make a good contact with it. I think it might have come off of his shoulder maybe, but yeah, Kelleher has no time really to set himself and anticipate that that's coming. Down with the hand. I mean, that's so good for us because, you know, he's the guy. He's got the number one shirt now for the next couple of weeks until Allison gets back. So that was fantastic. Who did you like for your man of the match, Kev? Well, if Virgil finished that chance on 96th minute instead of rattling the woodwork, it would have been him. But I thought Endo was very, very good. Um, I think, look, I think this is one. I think I'd give it to Endo because Endo played 96 minutes or whatever it was. You can make a strong case for Jota in the first half, Salah in the second half. There's a lot of honorable mentions in that performance, but I, my man of the match would have been Endo, 100%. You know, I, I thought he was very, very effective in what he needed to do in breaking out the play. Uh, he was. Really, he was solid when he needed to be. He was snide when he needed to be. And he's becoming, it's a very unpopular position where you don't often get noticed that number six role. But yeah, he was, I thought he was very good. Um, yeah. But there was a lot of good performances today. Yeah. I don't think that there's anybody that you can say had a poor game today. And I think that's good. Like I thought Robertson mm. was very effective again. He put a yeah. lot of almost on the money crosses into the box. Like he found one for Mo, you know, drifting in behind again, that big cross field switch pass that we've seen so many times from Robertson in the past. Like Bradley obviously was good. Van Dyke. Yeah. I mean, I would say he's a bit culpable for the goal. Kanate as well. But outside of that, I thought they marshaled the game extremely well and kept the passing around the back quick and tight, moving the ball left to right and keeping possession. Like Curtis Jones was good until he went off. McAllister was good until he went off, but I think at the end of the day, you said the TV gave it to Mo Salah mostly because they wanted to have an opportunity to put a microphone in his face and talk to that, him. About that's him. that's my work. That's my working theory, anyway. Yeah, I mean, it's that's a plausible theory. That's probably a better interview in terms of attracting eyeballs to your broadcast than interviewing Wataru Endo because, like, he's just like the tiny little gears that run the inside of a watch. Like, you don't really see him, and unless you kind of understand what's going on with the watch as a machine, you can kind of forget about the role that he plays. He's not the fancy band or the little jewel that's inset into the face or anything like that. Yeah. But he is yeah. – I somebody said it at the start of the show, and I, I forgot to save it, or it might have been in the Telegram chat, that he's making a case for himself to be one of the signings of the season. And that is just from oh. – because I knew nothing about this guy when we signed him. And we got him basically for peanuts in today's day and age. And you're worried about, you know, oh, is he too old? Is he too slow? Is he too this? Is he too that? He only played for Stuttgart. But he's just getting better and better and better. Bang for buck. I mean, he's right up there. You know, if you're looking at uh, putting a pound value on a transfer on a transfer and return in value for money terms, yeah, he's right up there, 100%. Has to yeah. Be. yeah um, he, I think he's um, he's he's going to go on to be this generation's um, Lucas Leiva in terms of how the fans see him. In how the I think how the fans take him to heart in a lot of ways because 
Lucas, when he was good, he was brilliant. Everyone loved him. With Taro I mean, maybe Endo, not, so, maybe uh, not Phil Casey. No, there are limits. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are limits to the madness. But I think he's one of those effective squad players that every squad needs to have, and he's very good at what he does. I knew about him in Ger- I knew about him mainly through FIFA. To be honest, he was always one of those uh, cards. On uh, when he got a special card, he was always usable. But he was. It was. You always play that game, and you're looking at players getting mad at the matches uh, in other leagues. You know, he gets a few. You know, yeah. and you then you start to look at why is he getting a few. Then you watch a, a German game, and you watch him, and you're like, yeah, even for Stuttgart, Stuttgart were always fighting relegation. And always struggling at the bottom half of the table. But he was always good. You could watch him when he was playing for him. He was very good in in that, in that side, surrounded by a lot of very average players. And he's one of these players that you take a good player in a bad side and you put him into a good side and you can see what they can really do. Um, I think he's at the right age as well. He knows his game inside out. He's comfortable in his own skin. And the manager trusts him. You know, he's got everything going for him. He, I, I like him an awful lot. Yeah. And uh, as Brian O'Sullivan said earlier in the show, and I saved it, anyone else smell that? We cooking. And, I mean, we have to be Kev. I mean, this is – it's going to be haymakers, you know, trading haymakers now between all three teams uh, battling for the Premier League title as we get into the proper business end of the season. I see that it's already 2-0 for Arsenal. I believe the last word from Fulham Villa was one all in that game as well, too. But all we can do is put the three points yeah. on the board every time we got a game, put the pressure onto Arsenal, put the pressure onto City. You know, we'll all be uh, sitting around hoping that Chelsea can do something when they go to the Etihad later today. Nobody's going to expect too much, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, uh, oh, wait, where that? That's Chris Rowling. We're at that stage of the season now where, all you can do, put the points on the board and say, catch us, you know, and win your games. That's all we can do. We can't affect anything else. You know that Arsenal are going to go to Burnley and win. Burnley are, are a soft soft side. They're not Sean Dyche's Burnley. They're Vincent Company's Burnley who think they can play football yeah. against sides who are just way better, you know, and they still think they can play football. They, they're naive. Um, Burnley, Burnley so, will do well in the championship next season. They'll yeah. probably come back up. Yeah, you look at. I'm just looking at the score lines there now, and this is going to be redundant to people who are live, living, watching the downloads, or listening on the download. And it's like Burnley, Arsenal's two nil, Fulham nil, Villa one, Newcastle nil, Bournemouth nil, Forest nil, West Ham nil, Spurs nil, Wolves nil at the minute. But I'm seeing now that Joe Gomez has scored for Wolves, so. You know, at the end of the day, this is this is the time of the season where you're just building. You know, you're not at Easter yet. You're not at the, the real run-in. You know, you're just putting points on the board. I think that we're on what now, 56, something like that? 57? No, 57. Yeah, yeah, we're on 57. So 25 games played, 57 points on the board. Goal difference plus 35. You know, 117, drawn six, lost two. We're in a really good spot. That's you know, right. Uh, yeah, we've got injuries. We've, you know, but every side gets injuries. You just deal with it and move on. There's no point in crying over it. There's nothing you can do about it. So just get on with it. 
Yeah, and especially yeah, no when, especially when we've shown that we've been able to cope with our injuries so far, you know, yeah. it would be different if we were having some of these injuries and you saw a massive drop off in the form, but where we've needed the players to step up, they've stood up, been counted and kept us picking up points. You know, you have a few stumbles here and there, you know, with the draws against city and, uh, or against United and Arsenal. And then of course losing to Arsenal, but we're still top of the table. Looks like Arsenal is going to pick up all three points, so they'll be two points off us with an equal number of games played. City, of course, five back, but they've got a game in hand and tonight to also play as well, too. So all we got to do is just take the momentum, go forward. Home against Luton on Wednesday is the next game for us. That is absolutely now the most important thing. And then we get into the cup final weekend next weekend, Kev. That's when it feels like the end of the season starts. You get after that League Cup final. and Yeah, you just you you want to get that one trophy in the cabinet and then your run your run in begins. You know, you get that one secured away. Um it's nice to have that one on the board. Mourinho made a living on that. You know, Mourinho and Ferguson used to do that as well. You know, get that one bit of silverware in your pocket and you 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 build for the rest of the season on the strength of what you're doing there. And that's all we can do. Try just go and win the win the next game because full of Luton will be Right up for it. When Luton, I, I think it's at Anfield, isn't it? I'm nearly it certain is, yeah. it's at Anfield. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when Luton got promoted, I guarantee you, Luton fans were sat there and they're like, okay, when did we go to Anfield? Okay, when do we go to the Emirates? When do we go to Old Trafford? And the players would be no different and they'll be right up for it. And they've given everyone a game that they've been in with this season. They're a tough nut and they will be right up for a trip to Anfield. Under the lights, they're, you know, this is what their season is all about. And we've got to be right at it. You know, clinical, solid, structured, and no messing. Get a job done. That's know? the main and thing. Get... No, no messing. Let's not give them yeah. any any easy goals. Let's not be silly or lackadaisical with the ball playing around at the back. Just Job done, on to the next one. That's the most important thing. But it's pretty much job done here for us. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. Please hit the like button on your way out if you've watched us live. And thank you, everybody, for joining us in the chat. Uh, big miss. Ashley Al was busy. She had plans today, so that's why we uh, didn't have any post-match quotes from uh, Klopp or whoever else was interviewed today. So you were definitely missed, Ashley. I appreciate all the work you do putting those post-match comments in for us there. Finished at the G-Tech. Jurgen's first win there on his final visit there. Brentford won. Liverpool four. Please, if you can help us with our 2024 fundraiser, the link is in the description to the GoFundMe page. The Lighthouse Cafe in Dublin. Fan supporting food banks in Liverpool. Also, check out the amazing Chavi Alonso prize available on footballprizes.co.uk. It's absolutely stunning looking thing there. And if you're watching as a free member, listening as a free member on the downloads afterwards, please consider joining up. For a membership it's four pounds or four euros a month you get access to all the members programs that are not free and available when we do them live like the uh, greatest episode that we did on thursday talking about american sports where it's got absolutely no change out of phil casey whatsoever when it comes to baseball just absolutely ridiculous that phil has no respect for babe ruth whatsoever but i appreciate you joining us tonight thank you very much kev Let's all go and watch the second half of the three o'clock kickoffs and then cross our fingers for Chelsea later on to take something off of Man City. See you guys on the next show. Adios. Sports Social Podcast Network.